I'm hoping, um, it, it rests with me this, I'm hoping we'll have time at the end to respond by just uh, calling out to God together, letting the Holy Spirit speak into us out of what I'm saying. So I'm hoping that we can have time not to be too cramped with it right at the end. So uh, I'd like to start quite, quite sharp. Uh, it's good to, to be with you again. And it's good to be able to share from God's word. Um, uh, my, my role in the church, one of the leaders here, if you're a visitor, you probably might not even know that I'm one of the leaders here because I'm often away preaching elsewhere. But um, it does mean that uh, I particularly relish, actually. I love being here and enjoy being back here for a Sunday and enjoying worship together. It's just great to hear John leading us again after all this time, off having dozens of kids wherever he's done, but... Bless him, where is he? Anyway, but anyway, it's great to have you leading worship again, John. There you go. It wasn't dozens, was it? Five? Five, just, just five. Quite a modest, modest number. So we're going to get into the Word of God. We're going to look at Malachi, and uh, we're looking at this passage, but I might be a bit sneaky and read a verse longer than it says. So I'd like you to, if you've got a Bible, a tablet, whatever you use, turn to Malachi uh, chapter 2 and verse 17. And we're looking in this series at uh, Hear My Voice, God Speaking. And I felt that the subject, as I wanted to hone it this morning, was that God speaks about revival. Now, I am aware, if you're not a very experienced Christian, or not even a yet Christian, not yet Christian, you think, what's revival? It's a little bit of a jargon term. But it's a, a term that means when God turns up. When God comes and manifests his presence among his people, when God comes and moves, we might say, by the Holy Spirit, because that's what he does sometimes. I mean, he's here all the time. He's here with us this morning. But sometimes there are special occasions, there are opportunities when the Holy Spirit moves in power. And often they have a great impact on the church and on the culture and society around and it's something we long for and pray for. Some of us are expecting God and have been for quite a long time, which may be relevant to this morning's passage, for God to do a mighty move in our day. Um, there are many things we've enjoyed, but, but there are, we look to see a lot more. And so we're going to read this passage and then we're going to dig into it for a while together and let God's, I hope, will speak to each one of us individually and corporately together. Right, we're picking up at verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he's pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send you my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years." 
So I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. It's a powerful passage, actually. And I found my heart stirred as I've been preparing over the last few weeks and thinking and praying about it. And and I found God stirring me about things that have perhaps been in my heart for many, many years. So I I feel there's quite a personal sort of tangle up in my emotions with it. God, we want to see you move in our day. And yet it's slightly scary to think what it's like when God moves. Let's let's just do some headlines and just catch ourselves up and understand what we're looking at here in this Old Testament uh, passage where God speaks to his people through the prophet Malachi but as the Holy Spirit helps us he will speak to us here today and it will be more powerful when we get a sort of sense of what he was saying in their day. So let's talk about the context briefly. In the context a dull formality had crept into Israel's religion The people had returned from exile. They'd returned with great hopes. And they'd rebuilt the temple. They set up the worship of the temple again. But the breakthrough that they longed for had not happened. So there'd been an element of restoration. And some of them were very excited by that. But nothing much had happened. The Persians were still the controlling force in the world. And indeed they looked as powerful as ever. The Persian Empire that had overwhelmed them originally and under which some of them had come back was still the force, the world empire. Pagan, powerful and sometimes very cruel. And they ruled over all. The Messiah had not returned as many of them had hoped. They'd hoped that the Messiah would come and establish Israel as a top nation like David had done. Well that hadn't happened at all. In fact things had jogged along a bit undramatically. So the people of God had become disillusioned and as they looked around they thought actually evil people seem to do very well. Evil people are prospering. A lot of people uh, who we would think God should sort of blitz and destroy seem to be flourishing. And where is the God of justice then? Where is God's justice in all this? What we are looking for isn't happening. Now, as a result of that, their religion, their worship of God had become formal and a bit dull and routine. A legalism had crept in, but also a fair degree of sin. So the sacrifices they brought were rubbishy and cheap. We saw that a few weeks ago when I was preaching. They brought the worst of the flock to offer to God. They withheld the tithes. They uh, were, the priests were really professional rather than anointed. They just did it as a job and got their living out of it. There wasn't much anointing of the spirit or passion about it. Sexual immorality had become quite common amongst God's people. Adultery and divorce were common among the people of God. And probably worst of all, an overall cynicism and unbelief, probably an underlying sort of dullness of cynicism and unbelief had settled on all God's people. This is what we're talking about, the people of God. And particularly the temple community, that would be the priests and Levites who should be giving a lead in these things. They'd become cynical. They'd become bitter as well. 
And they had almost led the charge in terms of criticizing God. They looked around, these religious leaders, along with the people and said, well, you know, the Persians are doing well and all these bad people seem to be quite successful. Is it worth even following God? Where is God? Why doesn't he, where is the God of justice? They'd asked in a defiant way. They theoretically wanted God, but their, their view of what the God of justice should do was probably very much tied to what they thought he should do. They thought, well, we want him to blitz these, we want him to destroy the Persians. You know, they had a view of what real justice would be. And they were getting a bit tired and weary. So they had expressed their weariness with God and his ways. I don't think that's totally irrelevant to how Christians can feel today, uh, can feel in our country. Uh, if you've been around for many decades, you might be prone to feel occasionally like that, a bit disillusioned, a bit tight bored with it or dutiful or weary and uh, these things creep in and so I actually think this is a very relevant passage for us well they're in that state of mind and then comes the prophetic intervention the next thing suddenly a startling prophecy comes and in the words we've read it's not about their weariness God says you're weary I'm weary God says I'm weary You've wearied me with your words. And it's a bit of a shock how God turns the tables on them, which he does here and elsewhere in Malachi. But here it's a particularly powerful one, I feel. God says, look, I'm listening to all your words. And let's just stop there for a moment. And all of us, including myself, soberly realize God hears all we say. They're moaning and complaining. They're embittered. They're saying, God, where, where, where's God? Why hasn't God done this? Why has he done that? They're arguing about this. And God says, I'm listening to all this and I am tired of it. You see, God not only listens to what we say, he actually reacts to it. And the Bible shows us many things like that. It shows us God showing emotions. And of course he's got emotions because he made us and we've got emotions. So you, you'll find God listening and laughing laughing at what the plans of, of, of powerful and evil people are. You'll hear him listening and getting angry. And here, you'll hear him listening, and sometimes it's listening and he's delighted with what he hears. But here you'll see him listening and he's weary with it. He's weary. He's weary with it. He's weary with their complaints, their unbelief, and their cynicism. And I feel right away, you know, I feel challenged. I mean, does, how does God react to what he hears me say or you say? or the church in Britain say. I mean, he's listening. He's listening for words of faith and words of prayer, words, of, uh, words that harmonize with him. I mean, he's probably pleased with quite a few, but I'm not sure he's pleased with it all. Words that really echo what his heart is and what his word says about himself. And uh, are we prone to complain and say, you know, where's the God of justice? Where's God? Where's God? I mean, I think it's easy to say that. It's easy to feel that. So where's God? Where's, where's God in all this? Why doesn't he turn up and deal with things? Well, God begins to do something. Let's move on to the promise. With this rebuke where God says, look, I'm weary of your words, your words of unbelief and cynicism. With this rebuke comes an amazing promise that I believe contains a promise for every age and every situation. And it's sort of summarized in verse 1 of chapter 3. God says, There will be a time of preparation, 
And then suddenly, the Lord you seek will come to his temple. Now, you could argue that the most full uh, manifestation of that promise was when Jesus came. Jesus Christ, suddenly, the Lord came to his temple. And of course, they weren't expecting it, and it was a surprise. Because that is the characteristic of God coming. And we're going to take a moment or two just to think about these, these points together. Because behind all this is not theory. I believe God's coming here. I believe there are times of God's coming. I've had modest experiences of it in my Christian life, which I might briefly refer to in a moment. But, but actually, I think God wants to come again. I think God is on the edge of moving in our day. And it's good for us just to remember what it's like. God says, or to be aware of what it's like, God says, look, there'll be some preparation time and then it will be suddenly I come. And in that suddenly, there is a hope for all of us, personally and corporately. You know, God does come suddenly. He does do stuff and he suddenly comes. Sometimes we think, well, it's all slow and gradual and there's often a period of preparation. But there is a characteristic of God, which you'll find throughout the Bible, I've spoken on it before, of God turning up suddenly. And I pray for another suddenly. I'm looking for another suddenly. Come, Lord. When God comes, it's often a surprise. I can think of many times, well, many, more, not as many as I'd like, but a few times in my longer, long Christian experience where this has been sort of true, that you, you plan your, your way forward and uh, you think God's going to do this and this and it's going to work out that way and then suddenly, side left, in a very different way to what you expected, things begin to happen that are clearly God and uh, they're not always comfortable and we'll see that in a moment. But I would think of things, in, I mustn't get into too much detail because I don't want to spend too long on it. Things uh, in broad areas, three or four times in, in, in time of what I would call restoration. I would have been filled with the Spirit and would have expected God to do all sorts of things in my home church. And, and, and God came suddenly side left and, and other things came across. And I thought God was just to touch individuals and fill them with the Spirit. And God began to speak and said, I'm, I'm interested in my church. I want to change my church. I'm not just interested in individuals being blessed. I want to restore my church. And then I, I can think of times later when we were struggling with all sorts of uh, pastoral issues, if I'm honest. And, uh, and, and then it seemed like suddenly to me, God broke through, partly through some ministry from John Wimber. And, and we began to see people delivered from demons. And, you began, and things that where we were planning and talking and trying to counsel for hours, you actually found there were more scary, to be honest, breakthroughs and changes. And it wasn't a comfortable ride, but thank God for it. I can remember in the 90s, we were planning all sorts of evangelistic events. There were a number of things, I don't know if you were around in those days, but there were a number of things that we planned. Uh, there was something where every home in England got a booklet. We did that. I can't remember. Was it Reinhard Bonker did it or something? And uh, we were doing all these schemes and plans. And then this whole Toronto thing started. And it was like nothing to do with what we were planning. And, and, and God seemed to turn it all upside down. And we, we in Hastings saw quite a lot of people saved in the 1990s out of that situation. But it was nothing like our plans. Now, I just want to say, whet your appetite. God is like that. 
it's sort of unnerving because he's God. But he does come unusually and suddenly. And he comes, first of all, to his people, to his temple. He said, I'm going to come to my temple. And so revival is really a church word. It's really about, you can only revive something that's been alive. It's about God stirring his church. It's about God coming on his church and then that moving out into the culture around and the nation around. But the most exciting thing about this whole thing is God says, I will come. I will move. I will turn up. His personal presence becomes more tangible and more noticeable. He said, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Do you pray for that? I, 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 know, I know the Lord's here. Don't, 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 get, don't mishear me. Lord, I pray for a fresh anointing, a fresh outpouring. Come suddenly. Come on your temple. Come on your church in Britain in 2018. Oh Lord, do it again. In our day, do these things. In our time, I've not really seen what I believe God's promised and spoken to me about. I know into churches about for years. I believe there's more to come. I believe something more substantial. Our nation is, is desperate. We need a people who are revived and who are ready to bring the gospel in all sorts of un, un, unimaginable ways. Some of the ways we won't imagine where God will break out amongst us. Because we're moving on now to the effects. God promises he's going to come. But the effects of when God comes are, a, are quite interesting. They're quite mixed. There's quite a lot to learn from that. So verse 2 says this. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and launderer's soap. Who can endure the day of his coming? I can never read that without hearing that. There's a wonderful song in the Messiah, Handel's Messiah, isn't it? I think it's got that line in it. But the word endure is translated, obviously, from a Hebrew word. And this is the only place it's translated endure. Elsewhere, it's translated contain or hold, which I think is better to remember. When God turns up, who can contain him? Who can hold him? Who can box him in? You can't box him in. You cannot contain God. You can't hold him. You can't put him in a box. You can't make it tidy. You can't restrain him and grasp him and and fit him into your own little comfortable area. That's what God's saying. When I come, I'm going to move in a way that you won't be able to contain. I think that's probably almost a better translation. And then it says, who can stand when he appears? And I love this. I love it. And I have experienced it a little bit on and off through the years. God, I want you to do it again. When God moves, you don't stay all calm and cool. I mean, you don't. You can't stand when God... Now, it means not just physically, though it could mean that. I think it almost means psychologically or emotionally. You don't keep your cool. You don't keep your sang-froid when God turns up. It's not like, that's fine, I'm chilled. When God turns up, you're not chilled. You're not chilled. That will be true personal and it will be true corporate. You might be weeping, you might be laughing, you might be on the floor, you might be angry, you might be disturbed, you might walk out the building. You won't stay chilled. 
I can tell you that because I've been there and done it and heard it and experienced it. I can tell you that because I've gone home from powerful meetings and my wife was angry and upset and I don't know how to handle it because you don't know what to do with it. You don't know if you're even a Christian. You're not even sure whether you believe it or not. I love it, but it's blooming disturbing. And that's what happens when God turns up. It's not all careful. Now, I want you to know that God has spoken to us about tsunamis and volcanoes and earthquakes. That's slightly like it is. They aren't things that you just like, oh, that's nice. Well, let's have a little earthquake. Oh, that's a nice little earthquake. They're not like that. Oh, John, you're scared. I hope I am scaring away. But not in a nasty way. We'll see that. We haven't finished. Let's keep it the nasty bits for a while. God says, when I come, I'm like a refiner's fire or launderer's soap. Now, <laughs> I just love God. A refiner's fire, that sounds nice, doesn't it? That sounds poetic. A refiner's fire means the heat gets up and the rubbish comes to the top. That's what it means. A refiner's fire means you heat the metal up, rubbish comes to the top and you scoop it off. So when you personally or corporately, when God really begins to move, one of the things is the heat comes on. And, and you don't know what's, and all dirty stuff comes out. Out of you and me. God says, I've got some muck in there. We're going to clear it out. We're going to heat it up and we're going to clear it out. We're going to get rid of it. And then the other picture, which is similar, is launderous soap. Well, that sounds nice. It's not soap like, I don't know what, the, you know, a little bit of soap on our cheeks, came leather or something. No, no, this is laundry and laundry in those days, you, you bash things and you rub them in a river, didn't you? We don't do that, but we do have washing machines. Washing machines are not peaceful, are they? This is laundry. So when God comes, he puts the laundry on. Do you do that? I've had to do it a little bit recently. I'm not very good at it. But you, you stuff the things in, you switch it on, and they come out nice. But it's, I don't think it looks so very comfortable for a pair of trousers or a pair of knickers or something, does it? It's not a very comfortable experience, but they are better for it. When God moves, you will always be better for it, but it won't necessarily be comfortable. It won't necessarily be comfortable. Now, this can apply personally as well as corporately. I'd just like you to know, this is how God works. You know, we always, oh, I do, I know I'm old-fashioned. But I, it's nice that we talk about him being a good, good father, because he is. But he's so good that he won't let us stay dirty. And, and so, actually, he's also like laundry soap. He's also like a washing machine, which is not quite the same as a good, good father. And so, God will sometimes come and agitate. That's what washing machines have, agitators. And he'll, he'll just agitate you to get the rubbish out and to change. The effects of his coming are spectacular. No one can stand in his presence as he cleans up his people. And there's often, I think, revival-wise, those of us who are a bit older and are interested in this sort of thing, you don't have to, it's not an age factor, might have read about revivals. And I think when you read about revivals, they're actually pretty messy. I think um, we can have them a bit sanitised and sentimentalised in the books we have. Some people are really into them, books on revival. 
which is fine, but it's a bit like war, I think. War is looked back on, and it's often, although everybody knows it's horrible, it's sort of glorified and sentimentalized, but when you're actually in it, it's confusing and messy. That's war. Now, revival's a bit better than war, but when you're in it, it's probably messier than you think. You know, you can't even say, is that even, is that right? Is that wrong? What's that? What's that? Why? And it drives you back to God. It drives you back to the Bible. It drives you to cry out, weep before him, call out for his help. And as well as it rejoicing, sometimes overwhelmed with joy. Let's keep it positive as well, because it often is. Overwhelmed with things. People who never thought they'd speak in tongues start speaking in tongues. People start prophesying. This sort of thing goes on. That's what happens and it's wonderful, but it's sort of like, whoa, when you're in it. And I think revival is a bit like that. And I expect it to be like that. But it is wonderful when God comes. And you don't have to fear, really, that you're going to be... Because uh, God's a good God. He wants to clean you up. He wants to make his people right, and as, he, as they should be. And he, he's got a bigger goal than just tidying them up. So you don't have to fear that he's going to destroy you, but you've got to learn to trust him. And you've got to learn to ride through with him even when you don't quite understand it. Honestly, like a child with a parent. That will happen. He's got an ultimate goal, though. We're going to move on to that. It's the last of the things I want to say. He's got an ultimate goal. Verse 5 that we read says... When I come, I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but who do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. In this context here, God says he's going to start with the temple community, and then he's going to, and the priests and the Levites, and then he's do what we've been looking at, and then he's going to move out into the nation and the society and deal with the injustices out there which is what we've just listed in that verse I don't think it's unreasonable to draw a parallel in our time which is slightly different the temple the priesthood are the believers the Christians that's that's how it is in the new covenant we are a kingdom of priests we are all children of God sons of God in Christ Jesus and so we're a bit like, the, we are the living temple, living stones. So it's like God says, I come to my temple, I clean it up, but my goal is beyond and is out into the nation. Now that's what I want you to hear. I believe sincerely and with good evidence from history and from the New Testament that God's ultimate goal is not just to tidy up and straighten up the church, it's to reach people, the nation around. Do you agree? I do. My heart's burden is that we will see a move of God in our day, in our generation, in this nation. And this nation is ripe for it. When you read through the Bible, the Old Testament, there are some key characteristics of a nation, and it is often Israel, but not always, a nation that has gone away from God and is ripe for either revival or judgment, sometimes they almost seem to come together. And the characteristics are, in this case, summarized in verse 5 that I just read to you. But if you were to read Isaiah, you would find a similar list, much more detail as you read through it. This is a useful summary. Some of the characteristics 
of a culture or society that is in a very dangerous place and is under the impending judgment of God, but you want the reviving power of God. And in, in, honestly, I believe in his mercy, that's what God's going to do. So these are some of the characteristics. He says, I will come to deal with, in our terms, sorcerers. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Actually, occult activity is often mentioned in the Old Testament to do with a nation that's turned its back on God and moved away from him. You can read it for yourself in a number of places. Early chapters of Isaiah are interesting. First six verses. So six chapters. But here, sorcerers. You know, even speaking today on the edge of Halloween, I am amazed at the fascination with the occult in modern Britain. Now, I'm old. I'm 67. And the growth in interest in Halloween has been phenomenal. Now, I know American and money. There's a lot of money behind it. But it's also a load of rubbish. What on earth is that all about? And then I know people like it and the rest of it. Harry Potter and all that. We've all made this. Uh, the, somehow it's cool and fashionable to be interested in the occult. I've actually personally been involved in deliverance ministry to practicing witches. It is horrible. Their lives have been violent and destroyed. That I have heard a woman speak with a foul male voice to me, cursing God, when I'm trying to pray for her to be delivered from demons. Which, I wasn't on my own, I was my fellow leader. It was very scary. Witchcraft is nothing attractive. It's either stupid, nonsense, superstition, or it's demonic. That, and, and in the end, we need to sort it out. We need a Holy Spirit to come and change this. Land. I will be rejoicing when we forget stupid Halloween. Put every pumpkin in a rubbish tip. Put it in for manure. Now, <laughs> honestly, what is the matter with us? What is the matter with us? We worship pagan gods. We're making a God out of Jolly Stonehenge. It's a pile of rocks been re, redesigned by the Victorians. They were there and they put them back together. We make it as though it was a mini, just it's fine. Go and look at it. There's rocks all over the place. <laughs> just don't worry about it. Don't slow me down when I'm trying to go on holiday. Just to look at that stupid pile of... <laughs> it's a fascination with the occult. It's a fascination with pagan paganism is again either stupidly superstitious or it's dangerous now when God moves we will have to start seeing if we're not careful there's going to be a generation who are demonized out of all this stuff not everybody of course not and we're going to have to see that that we're going to need some laundry we're going to need some refiner's fire starts with us and then it moves out and of course the list is long so I've got to be careful but it's not long, actually. It's quite short. But other characteristics are sexual immorality, adultery. These are just summaries for it. I mean, what about our modern nation? Full of it. What we tolerate. What on earth is that Love Island thing? It's just soft porn, isn't it? What are we doing? And we've got this huge conflict. We, can't, we haven't got any moral compass. So we're watching all that garbage, and then we're all meet the Me Too stuff. Now, I tell you... I tell you, I have always felt that the way women are treated is appalling. I, I can remember groupies round rock bands in the 70s and 80s. They've always been abused and things. Now, suddenly with me too. But the culture has encouraged it. It's encouraged it. 
It's, it's encouraged promiscuity. It's encouraged fornication. It's encouraged naked women in newspapers. What are you talking... You, you, you know, I hate both. <laughs> I don't want women abused. And I don't want naked women in my newspaper, thank you. But that is a state of a nation that's lost its way and gone from God. And of course, one could go on. Perjurers. What's that mean? That means word breaking and lying. That means fake news. You don't know who's telling the truth. And you really don't. In our day, everyone seems to think the end justifies the means. Everyone. All the political parties, all the press, you think they all think you can use the news to say what you want to say. So what can you trust? Well, you can't trust. You've got to see we need God to move. We've got to see we need God to move to restore something where there's right and wrong, where there's, where there's truth and lies. We need it. We need it. And our justice system is creaking and groaning. Perjury, uncertainty. You know, who can you trust? Who's, who's reliable? But it gets real. It gets not worse. It gets into a different area here. Those who defraud laborers of their wages. That is interesting to me. That as a culture turns its back on God, it actually doesn't get more tolerant. It gets intolerant of unfairness in a way. It just gets a different lining up. We now live in a culture which is almost regressed to Victorian. You've got zero hours, gig economy. All sounds nice. What it basically means is people are not in any way paid having security in their pay and security in their work like they once did. Christians fought, honestly, in Victorian England, Christians fought to bring in things like good trade unions, good wages, fair hours. It took about 100 years. And we're beginning to sort of just unravel it all again in the last 20 or 30. But it's a sign of a godless society. It's a sign of a godless society. Oppress the widows and fatherless. Debt, universal credit, call it what you like. It's not about politics, it's about godlessness. I mean, politics involved, but you don't know what, there's not a political answer. We need revival. These are things that tell me we need revival. I hope you get the point. I'm not making a political speech. They tell me we need revival. They're characteristics of a nation that needs God to break in. Oppress the widows and the fatherless. Deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Well, again, deprive the foreigners among you. Anti the people who are foreign. You know, uh, just not tolerant, not patient, not caring about refugees and immigrants and all the rest of it. This is stuff God hates. This is stuff that means a nation is ready for God to suddenly turn up. Do you get it? Do you get why I'm getting a bit steamed up? He gets red in the face. He's a very old, funny old man. But listen, <laughs> listen, my eyes, we need God to move. We will not solve this this list, you can't solve it politically because different people have different agendas. So some who think that adultery is fine don't think the laborer's wages is, is fine. That's great. But people who want to do all the laborer's wages think, oh, it doesn't matter about adultery, do we like it. So, and it all gets muddled up. It's not even political. It's just because we need God. He deals with all unrighteousness. Amen? He deals with all of it. It all needs change. We need the Holy Spirit to move in our day. Hallelujah, we really do. Now, here's the good news. The Lord is not just angry and vicious. He's a a patient, compassionate God. This is even a word from Exodus 34. It's how God revealed himself. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. God wants to clean up and forgive 
And actually, he says this, I, the Lord, do not change. I'm still like that. Therefore, you have not been destroyed. (laughs) You know, some of you say, where's the God of justice? We need God to intervene. If he intervenes, and he will one day, in the way you're asking for, he will intervene on all sin. So yes, he will deal with some of the things you don't like, but he'll deal with your lies and your envy and your greed. And God hates all sin. He's not selective. And and God says, actually, I'm compassionate, I'm patient, I'm I'm holding myself back. I want to move in love because I don't change. I have a heart of compassion. And he cries out, return to me and I will return to you. It's a beautiful line. It's almost, almost there's a pathos about it. Return to me and I'll return to you. That is the cry of the heart of God. Turn back to me. Now I think we already have or are, which is encouraging to me. I'm delighted with many signs of God's favour. But we need more. Return, Lord, and, and Lord, come in our day. Turn our nation back to you. Turn our, I'm not looking for the clock to be turned back. I don't want to be like... I, I, I was a lots of rubbish about life 50 years ago it wasn't all great and and Victorian England was awful so um, nobody wants to turn the clock back I want to turn back to God amen I want us to turn back to God and he is the same he's a good God Reinhard Bonker said a sin sick world needs people with a live link to heaven we need to be on fire ourselves we need the Holy Spirit on us so that we can see the fire go out from Zion into the nation around. It's another picture from Isaiah. The fire comes out from Zion, the fire of God's presence, out into the nation around. I want God to come on us, change us, and change our nation. I want to finish with uh, listening to a song. That's a great song by uh, the Jesus Culture uh, Kim Walker-Smith sings it, uh, Fresh Outpouring. Some of you may know it. I, I, Marion and I, I bought the CD a couple of years, about a year ago. I know, maybe earlier this year. I don't remember. But I've, often, I've listened to it innumerable times in the car. And I've sometimes found almost, well, I'm almost in tears, so it's not a very good idea if you're driving. So, I, and you think, God, move. So I want us to sit and listen, and then I'm going to just ask you to begin praying praying for God to move again in your life, in our church life, and in our nation's life. Let's just listen to that, if you can pop that on for me. Thank you.